0: Hello, I'm Colin Williams and I'm Ian Rowlands and welcome to Beneath the Stream, a podcast about the human experience in the non-human world and uh, Ian, following on from our um, the small podcast we put out just before Christmas where we were recording it down by the sea and uh, we recorded our thoughts about the sea and what it means to us and what it's meant to humans through the ages. Um, we're going to follow that up um, with um, a podcast where where you go and meet um, a couple of artists who have um, who have created some, uh, in in this case, sculpture and poetry associated with the sea. Tell me, tell me a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah,
1: it it sprung up off the back of a project uh, I've been involved with called Siren. In fact, it's sort of an initiative that um, it's born from. How do we connect people who are not connected with environmental issues? How do we respond to the fact that climate, nature, youth? Are sounding an alarm right now and what are the ways in which we can respond to that that those who don't think they're interested in the environment might just find what it is that's motivating everybody to be so concerned and it seemed a great opportunity to work with uh, a sculptor artist poet to see how they wanted to express their concerns and see whether that touched other people
2: So my name is Rhett Griffiths and I'm a poet, I'm a happiness coach and well-being designer and um, over the years um, I've written libretti for vocal pieces and operas and I've also done some copywriting and identity work for businesses, more, more on the edge of the advertising and branding world. Um, But this summer I had a great opportunity to um, dust off my creative practice and work on a poem that was really quite substantial. Earliest memory of the sea. Certainly... um, I grew up in the northwest of England um, near Lancaster and Morecambe and it's inland but it's only about four miles from the sea so I do remember going um, to a paddling pool uh, on Morecambe Bay so I'd say that was an early memory and then we used to have family holidays down to Devon kind of Dawlish I mean you, you know your quintessential English seaside
1: family holiday buckets and spades. So it sounds like you've had a long relationship with the sea. Is, it a, is your relationship with the sea an easy one? I'd say that
2: uh, well, t- two things spring to mind. Um, one is that when I um, had a job working in finance in the city, um, it was extremely stressful. Um, living in central London, quite an abrasive, inv- abrasive environment. And... Through chance, I discovered um, the Oldborough Festival, the music festival, and this was probably more than 25 years ago now. And part of that would be going up to Oldborough and Southwold and the towns on the Suffolk coast and just spending time by the sea. And it became the most extraordinary kind of antidote to the experience and stresses of being in the city. I could just literally sit on a bench for hours watching the sea and I could feel some kind of healing going on through that process. But the reason the question's interesting is that I think also there's something, I think there's some fear associated with the sea. So, I mean, I swim, I swim reasonably well. And yet, you know, I've been caught in a riptide. Um, I reco- I've been knocked over by a wave. <laughs> And these are just baby steps, you know, these are just small scale things. I've never been out in a rough sea on a yacht or anything like this. So I do recognise the kind of power, the depth of it, this kind of unknown quality it has beneath the surface. So I'd say, yes, it's both healing and terrifying sometimes. The Tipping Tide um, was kind of my response to what's happening in the world and the climate crisis. And I was I was asked to do it um, by Devi Singh, who I guess was kind of the creative director of the first Siren Festival. And she knew some of my poetry and my response was, great what an opportunity it was a it was a straight yes um, and it was in collaboration with Roger Hardy who's an artist and sculptor and my early steps were were, were just re- looking at his pieces and responding to what came up for me um, and slowly but surely through a kind of long process of gathering and research I started to collect things that I felt gave me some kind of way into this huge daunting um, complex problem and it ended up as I guess a kind of epic poem a a much longer poem than I'd originally intended during the research I came across the work of Heathcote Williams um, who was um, a poet and many other things but climate activist in the 70s and he wrote epic poems and Somehow this gave permission to do something on this scale. And the more, the more it landed, the more I kind of sat with the length of the poem, the more it felt completely appropriate to the scale of the crisis we're facing. I think there are, there are so many different ways that the sea impacts you. So in that sense, it's no surprise that it, c- it can trigger and be important for a, such a wide range of, of artists. I mean, just visually, when you look at it, I'm reminded of, in terms of the break, let's say, between the beach and the water and then the sky, you know, I'm reminded of those great Rothko pictures which just suggests the idea of a horizon you know of, of of change really of of these lines of change or transformation and i and that immediately connects you into kind of psychological ideas of that were drawn to the sea because it is a possible place of change um and then if you think of the sounds of the sea um the the natural rhythms it has um uh, you know, there are also people working in sound who've used that idea of it being connected, say, to the, you know, the heartbeat, for example, or the breath, or even the uh, the rhythms that you hear when you're still in the womb. I know um, speak, we're spe- I'm speaking here in Oldborough, and um, Benjamin Britton, of course, is a very famous figure in this, was a very famous figure and composer in this community. And what he tended to do was he would have some formal musical ideas for what he might want to work on. But then he would go and walk by the sea as a way to let his mind drift and in a way let his, his brain work out some of these, some of the music. It would come to him as he was walking by the sea. So maybe there's something there about the space that exists there. And being in that environment um, opens you up. You have enough trust that you can let the ideas come out. And there's a strange parallel with my own process of writing in that. I would dive into a lot of research. I would then perhaps be wrestling with a certain uh, verse. Or I knew the idea I wanted to get out, but the words weren't quite working. And I would then walk along the beach to Thorpness and back possibly quite like Benjamin Britten did believe it or not much of the poem felt like it was writing itself on those walks so some of the words would play out and as I would walking they would just dance around each other, knit together in different ways and um, from all the work that had gone on before um, I would find something that I would then be excited about and have to stop and write down or would manage to capture when I got back so yeah maybe something about the space the sheer variety of of you know sensual and, and sensory information that's going on there that inspires artists perhaps many people have this wonderful experience and relationship with the sea and it is difficult sometimes to put yourself in the shoes of other people who are not having such a positive experience because of climate change, um, to put yourself uh, at, or to appreciate, for example, um, some of the, the real issues with the health of the oceans at the moment. So the challenge was, how do you help people to realise this? And from somewhere, possibly on one of these walks, the expression someone like you came to me the fact that there, there is someone who's a, a a middle-aged white man in southeast asia somewhere is looking out on water that could be 50 percent covered in plastic and i felt straight a strange and sudden sense of empathy there so it's an attempt to put people in the, in put, put, put people in those shoes and to recognize um and be grateful for, but to recognise we just happen to be in a safe place at the moment when we're feeling those things. There are plenty of examples, even close to home here, where um, there's been significant flooding, where homes are at risk. But not on the scale of some of the mass catastrophes that, um, and evacuations that might have to happen if things continue and sea levels rise. I have to say um, it's been extremely rewarding and fulfilling. Some of the reaction and response that I've had to the poem. Um, my mum loves it. Absolutely loves it. And of course, my mum loves everything I do. But in on this particular occasion, she was very keen to point out that no, no, no. It wasn't the usual stuff, the usual mum loving stuff. It was particularly this. Forget I'm your mum. I really thought this was something. So that meant something. And then, of course, um, the actual installation that this poem was part of, it was in a lookout tower with one of Roger Hardy's sculptures, um, with a recording of the poem as well, and, and the poem kind of printed on a sailcloth two and a half meters wide by one and a half meters high. Um, it created a very kind of um, meditational space in which to reflect on your relationship with the sea. And I was there some of the time, but I tended to step out and leave people to be in the space on their own. Um, and people really did seem to connect to that experience. And people of all ages and backgrounds had a powerful experienced during the reading of the poem perhaps i see it as a bit like a a kind of set of different hooks or or a net i kind of knew that not everyone would respond to every aspect of the poem so it was perhaps a question of of each person finding the part of the poem that really resonated or hurt or or they recognized when when they saw it um and so yeah we had some terrific responses from it Um, and as part of the installation we put a table in the corner and it gave you the opportunity to write a postcard to the sea and it wasn't any more prescriptive than that really it could be anything could be a drawing um, could be a literal postcard dear dear ocean dear sea um, or a story and it was astonishing the range of postcards that we got. From people remembering old family holidays and moments, to acknowledging um, people who were no longer with us, that's how powerful the experience was to be in this installation with the poem and the sculpture, actually looking out to see where you could hear the sound of the waves. One particular uh, visitor really sticks in my mind because it started as a family of four, all briefly having a look at the poem, and three of them drifted off, but a young girl, when I say young, you know, in her teens, possibly Greta's age, 14 to 16 in that range, stayed and, and really did listen to the whole poem, and then went and sat at the table, and must have taken 10-15 minutes writing her own very creative uh, response to her experience of the work. What do I think about the future of the ocean, the future of our relationship with the sea? Um. When I first saw Roger Hardy's sculptures, I one in particular is just a lone figure. To be honest, I went immediately to the dark side. It felt like this was the last person on earth standing and watching, you know, the sea, the waves um, and a sunrise or a sunset for the last time. So it was a real apocalyptic feeling. So it's a a real mixture of um, daunted at the prospect of what's ahead, terrified at what the future could look like, and at the same time, this could be a catalyst to genuinely bring people together, to push back against some of the politics that's been happening, and to shift what's happening in the corporate world. But when I think about the inspirations for me here, um, I've certainly been moved by the school strikes, by Greta's sacrifice and, and leadership, really. Extraordinary young leadership in the world. Um, so she was, she was absolutely one of my influences And I'm just looking here, I want to acknowledge that and just read a line from the poem as I mention this, just two lines which read, Be the grit that becomes Greta, a girl, a pearl of our time. I've been playing with ideas of what kind of qualities we need to bring out in ourselves and each other to push back against what's happening. And the idea of grit felt incredibly important. And it's a real gift for a poet when you research a word and get presented with a present. And I looked up the etymology of the word Greta, and of course it means pearl.
0: Bitter, the sweet, lovely Nancy Ten thousand times adieu I am bound to cross the ocean wide All for the love of you Come change your ring with me, dear girl Come change your ring with me That it might be a token of true love, While I am bound at sea. And when the storm is rising, See how it gathers on. And we poor souls on the ocean wide, see the moon, our ship she is all tossed about, our rigging is all torn, and we pour souls on the ocean wide, we cannot see the moon.
3: My name is Roger Hardy, I'm an artist and sculptor working in Suffolk. I suppose a sculptor who's engaged with the environment um, and the natural world. My career, I guess, well I started as a graphic designer many moons ago but that evolved when we left London in 2000 to live back in Suffolk again where I was born and brought up. Um, And I started painting I suppose, I'd always done it in the wings but then that sort of carried on to full time. Um, occupation really being a full-time artist and I painted property for about ten years I guess in oils but connected to the landscape so very often it was trees and forests and woods so it was very much landscape based so I was always out in the landscape Um, but I'd always liked making things with my hands as well sort of physical you know not sculptures at that stage I was making model boats and all sorts of sort of things using bits of wood and stuff but so I'd always been creative at making Um, so yeah I started finding bits of old furniture and things at junk shops because I like going around junk shops and antique shops and deconstructing them and then sort of putting them back together in the forms of well at one stage it was a lot of birds I was creating but using lots of i say bits of sort of table leg or chair leg and calipers and all sorts of man-made elements, brought together to make this kind of menagerie of animals and birds. Um, And then over time, really I suppose that evolved into sort of figurative pieces, which I'm doing today, so it's been quite a slow, gentle sort of journey, but um, all with a common link generally of found materials. I think it's very much the history associated with the piece that I'm working with, or the backstory of the piece, um, rather than sort of consciously recycling upcycling, which has become very kind of unvogue, vogue. Um, so it's very much about the story that that piece, that object has got to tell, really, whether it's just a small sort of fragment of wood that I found on the beach, or whether it was a piece of furniture that had obviously been lived with and polished for years and sort of worn down to a lovely patination. So yeah, low, low tides, mudlarking, really, I suppose you'd call it. But um, I mean, one sort of common bay that I go to regularly so my sort of outdoor studio I like to call it Um, so I'm very very familiar with it as a location so yeah it seems sort of second nature really to go back there and keep looking so on my bench I've probably got about 20 or 30 bits of wood that you know I'm very conscious of and kind of handle and kind of awaiting for something to kind of you know register with and be able to work on so weather patterns and you know the feeling and the mood of when you collected it at the time I'm sure that sort of imbues a certain amount onto the piece that you create um, and the tactile, the tactile thing is a big thing for me every time I pick up a piece you kind of handle it well, unless it's covered in mud and which is <laughs> not quite so nice but certainly beach vines I kind of roll it around in my hand for a while and you kind of really connect with it hmm. it's weird but you I just have that kind of sensory you know side to it as well which is quite nice Um, I think any artist it's their kind of job to try and help well not try, but to maybe suggest to people different ways of seeing the world that they hadn't perhaps considered before or seeing it through your eyes so the fact that people engage with it I think is quite you know, it's quite touching and you know it's quite rewarding but um yeah so it's, it was a culmination of bringing together over a hundred and twenty hundred and thirty small sculptures. Um, together as one collective kind of community, really, which was the main focus of the piece. Um, So it was um, housed within um, a shed or a hut, which was reflected like a fisherman's hut. Um, So being able to create a narrative around that and onto it, projecting the ideas of what the oceans are facing, so using the letter writing and the sign writing on the outside, and sort of communicate those startling facts that the oceans are are facing and the life within the oceans. Um, But yeah, the little figurative sculptures, I just wanted them to, for the viewers to be able to connect to them um, in their own kind of way, whether it's within a family group or whether it's individually or whether it's a collective kind of experience, but because they were all looking out to sea, I wanted that very direct connection with the piece that was located on the beach. and people to sort of be, em- be able to empathise on that level, really. Um, and and again, it was about picking up those small fragments off of the beach. So it was a very sort of direct way of working from location, specific location. Um, and those sort of little fragments that would be overlooked, suddenly being elevated into something that actually can make an impact. And I think that's about, very much about, you know, that our kind of experience, that although we're very small individuals and in the overall kind of context of the, the planet, you know, when we come together, we can make a difference. Or
1: I think it was a renewal for me of seeing the power of creativity and art to stimulate something in people who might not be moved by. Hmm. Science and facts. Yeah. Although actually, you had you had that too, didn't you? There were a lot of facts on the outside of the. There were this yeah. sort of fishing hut yeah yeah uh, which impacted on people and and so I enjoy watching people's responses to that and and you you must have done too. Did you see people engaging with with that particular piece? Very much so. Yeah, pretty
3: much everyone that viewed it. Yeah, probably from a distance they approached it not quite knowing what to expect or what it was about. And is it actually a fisherman setting up a stall on the beach? And you. Fishermen, but um, once you get close obviously read the information then you know it does communicate on quite a hard-hitting level um, and yeah everyone that I saw viewing it kind of really connected with it and from kids sort of four or five years old and you know, obviously parents explaining it to them but they were quite mesmerized by you know elements of it which was yeah it was really heartening to see
1: It's a very heart-stirring body of work that you've created, and, and, and I love the way that it impacts on adults and children too. Mm, thanks. And I wondered whether um, whether you were emotionally affected by your work or you are too close to it. Is, are there pieces that you create that...
3: Yes, I don't know. It's,
1: it's difficult, isn't it? I'm very,
3: very close to it, but when you stand back something like The Siren Project... Which took quite a you know a few quite a few weeks of actually physically putting it together. You are too close, really. It's only when it's together and it's on its location on the beach, and you can stand back and be objective about it. You, yeah, it was very touching to see people engaging with it. So, yeah, it's definitely one of the sort of high points in my career so far in terms of engaging with the public, which is ultimately what most artists want to do. I think that it was, yeah. It was very much a high for me. Yeah, for sure. Wonderful. Wonderful.
1: Yeah. So I was gonna ask a left field question here, yeah. I mean your your kind of um what's your earliest memories of the sea and of being by the water?
3: Um probably going to see my granny who lived in Felix Day. So meet all the cousins meeting up and parents meeting up obviously and um spending time there in the summer really. So swimming and so sifting for shark's teeth, I remember doing that as they a really? little toddler, so yeah, we're, yeah, days doing that I suppose, and yeah, yeah, that was definitely the um, connection that I wanted when I'm doing the sign Project with all the figures looking out to sea, because certainly that's my experience. And yeah, like you say, apparently, and it's everyone else's experience, you can stand on the edge of the land and look out to the horizon, so...
1: And I think for when we talk a lot on this podcast about it's our relationship with the the non human world, I suppose. So that's why I'm delving with your hmm. your relationship with the materials that you work with, because they they speak of so much more, I guess, than than something that we have created. You know, artists that might work with um, plastic or other materials that we these are sure. things that have Spawn from the ground, shall we say they've come from, yeah. come from the earth from the sea? Yeah, yeah. No. So, they, so they have that, that spirit about them, shall we say?
3: yeah yeah, yeah No, that's sort of a fascinating part of what I find, I suppose really you just don't know the history behind it, and you can kind of project your ideas onto it, but um, yeah, no that's, it is a fascinating fascinating source of material, really.
4: Fathom five, thy future lies. Bones of bleached coral made. Plastic pearls where once were eyes. Nothing of you left to fade. Unless we summon a sea change into something fierce and strange, sirens will hourly ring your knell. Can you hear the siren song? of the ocean's passing bell. Look out over into incredible oceans, seas like living mirrors, where liquid diamonds quiver with squinting light. Curved horizon of possibility, shoreline of fluidity a healing place of play and repair, of sandcastle and salt air, of swim and kiss me quick, of fish and chip, of waves and waves of amniotic bliss, home to coral. Krill, the narwhal, the octopus's garden, hundreds of thousands of species to Fox even Darwin, an other world of saline, diving down deeper down, stranger than the moon. In submarine, a secret engine. Imagine. Phytoplankton, creatures by the billion, like tiny leaves, smaller than our eyes can see, making every other lung of air we breathe. Thanks to water gracing two-thirds of this earth, we are the pale blue dot, alive in a barren universe. But this miracle dies, oceans petrified, and prehistoric beaks cry, Your chips are your life! The end of the sea is nigh! Someone like you looks out on plastic waters, where birds choke and suffocated fish float. Someone like you leaves everything they own to save their daughter's bones. Somewhere, unsafer than here, the corpse bell tolls for someone just like you before a full-length mirror, drop to your knees and catch a breath at the depth of this global corporate piracy, at our mass complacency. For we are plastic people, and unless we stop, we'll topple like dominoes. Would you plastify a rose or sacrifice a child of laws? With corals bleached, pollution's poisonous stink, whales are beached and species made extinct and walls will breach. Drowned towns become tombs and the rich and corrupt flee first class as the rest of us watch seas boil with fire and blood. In Aquageddon, where oblivion is welcome, we are but driftwood, children Jetson, fish is fossil. And only ghosts contemplate the curved line. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. Enough excuses. Enough. The milk is spilt, but let us sob with fists for the lost and wasted futures. This is the last time. This is the last time. The last peace. The last breath. The last chance. The last goodbye. So stand on the brink and look out for the last time as sands tip. There is a place between land and sky, and its fate is our destiny. Now is the tipping tide, and when the waters break, climb in the belly of a whale, like a safe room or a womb where future children screaming at the state of the earth, will beg to be unborn. Now is the tipping tide. The youth, truth prophets in a fake world, see tsunami, say tsunami, and shout tsunami. Ahoy, the ship is sinking. Look out! Our ark is on fire! It's time for urgent sea change, for us to quicken and mutate into something fierce and strange. This is the waking of the Kraken, the siren call to action. In years to come, A little voice will ask, what did you do? Who will save this single-use planet if not you? So, stand on a beach together, each of us two-thirds water, connected to earth and each other Like the roots of a sequoia, by the gravity of things. No one is too small. You are not alone, we are all one, distant cousins under the same sun. And with the sea as our anchor, plant your feet in sand or pebble and rebel resist this climate cancer let's gather in a shanty and sing songs of the work to be done if you see the future sing ahoy if you fear the future sing ahoy if you'll change the future sing ahoy Yes. Step forward, rebels, devils, pebbles in shoes that bruise you to remove the comfortable and wake and agitate. Be the grit that becomes Greta, a girl, a pearl of our time. Take this feeling and teeming fears and dread, and magic up the steel to act, forged in a tempest, spitting words and deeds, to defeat what seem impossible odds, like the salmon leaps through weeping waters. Find courage in the eyes of others who give their lives as we slumber, Crack open ribs, put hands on stopped hearts, to jump start, to manifest our beating unrest. And even if we all must end, go flying, not falling. If we must hit the ground, let us fail magnificently. Not hang like surrendered flags or dropped stones. Let us skim, flap our wings and soar. And facing the sky, live before we die. Ahoy! On a beach, to gathering, gathers the human shoal to catch the tipping tide. There is a place between land and sky, its fate our destiny, hope is now or never.